listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Good to have you guys on today. I'm so happy everybody's joining me on Tuesday, and uh, I'm so pumped up for this. As you saw in the comments, uh, or excuse me, in the description, it might even seem like it's a bit of a controversial subject, but I titled this one, You Are in the Wrong Church, Five Signs that you are attending the wrong church, that you need to get out of the church that you're in. And that freaks people out. You know, you start talking like that, but that's what today is going to be about. We're going to deal with um, five things that need to be in place uh, in the church that you are attending. And if they're not in place, then you need to definitely get out of that church. Now that sounds harsh. I understand that it does sound harsh when you talk like that, but one thing that it's very, very important, yeah, Brian Wright, who pastors his church, needs to figure out if he's in the wrong church or if he's leading the wrong kind of church, which I know he's not. He's a friend of mine. He's on our board uh, and he's doing a great job. But um, one of the things that I want to definitely talk about today is that there are people who just stay in their churches, they attend a church out of tradition or because their family went there, uh, those kinds of different things. But here's what we need to really understand. Where you go to church, yeah, so tag Joel. That's right, Andy, tag Joel. Uh, where you go to church is a matter of life or death. And this is very, very serious. And that's why I wanted to take this broadcast today to talk about it. Where you go to church is a matter of life or death. And uh, going to church is, is obviously, it's no joke. It is, number one, commanded by God. So for all the people that are maybe watching or you hear them talking, well, you know, I'm under grace. I don't need to go to church. You know, I don't need to attend church faith. I can have church at home. You know, I can have, ch- I can have church at home. You know, that, that's, you hear people say that in our generation. Not true. You can't have church at home. I understand that some churches started in homes. I understand that in the early church, they had home churches, but it's not for people to just stay home and, uh, well, I'll have church from my couch. Staying home and watching a live stream is not the same as going to a church where there's a body of believers. And I understand it, it has nothing to do with the building itself, that we are the church. We're the called out ones. However, the Bible does clearly instruct us as believers to assemble together, to actually physically assemble together. So let me let me say this to you. Um, there will never be something that takes the place of assembling together with other believers. Let me read this to you um, because this is this is seems to be a scripture that people have forgotten in 2019 and in 2020. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10. You've heard me read it before. Let's read it again. Verse 25. Uh, Don't neglect to meet together or assemble together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord approaching or drawing near. Uh, One translation says it this way. Uh, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some, but as you see the day of the Lord approaching, gather all the more. So there is an an instruction from God, and I'm going to get into this in a moment. There is an instruction from God that we have, and we see it modeled throughout the early church, to assemble together, to actually come together and And here's what the the problem is. Well, I can get preaching and teaching from home. Yeah, you can. But that's not the only reason that we assemble together. That's not the only reason that we come together. Number one, there's power and unity. Number two, God has anointed you to be an encouragement to other people. He's anointed you to lift up those and to build connections and friendships with those of like faith. Uh, There's more to gathering together than just hearing the pastor preach. And of course, we know that's extremely important to receive the word of God. 
But that's why the Bible tells us to assemble together, to come together. There's strength when we come together. And uh, so I want to talk to you first about this fact that uh, don't listen to, <laughs> this is being said often. I actually saw a book. This is no lie. I saw a book in the, in the bookstore the other day in the Christian section that was entitled How to Be a Christian Without Going to Church. How to Be a Christian Without Going to Church. And I've heard this thought process from many people, especially in our generation, that, well, church isn't necessary and, you know, you don't have to be faithful to a church. And that mindset has literally so gotten into our generation that they tell us now that the average Christian attends church one time every month. One out of the four Sundays a month is the average that a Christian attends in the United States of America. Now, I can't speak to um, I can't speak to other nations, but that's what they're telling us in America. It's now come down to the average Christian attends one out of four times a month, which is why they said um, they explained that you know Easter Sunday is always like the largest Sunday of the year for the majority of church, churches in America. Then the then the Sunday right after Easter is the lowest attended Sunday, and the reason for that is because of that statistic, all of those Christians that only go once a month, they all came on the Easter Sunday, so nobody comes the next Sunday. And so it's really, really sad. It's very, very sad that that's a mindset really developed by the devil and an antichrist agenda to keep people out of the house of God. You don't want to stay out of the house of God. You want to be in the house of God. It's commanded by the Lord that we assemble together. And where you assemble, by the way, is extremely, extremely important. I was just looking here at my uh, friend Andy, who's over there near Liverpool. And his pastor, I believe, is Joel Toller, who's in the Manchester area. Uh, one of the things about, you know, think about um, uh, even in the UK, in England, you know, uh, there's a massive difference, <laughs> a massive difference between the church that they're that they're in in Manchester that's going to preach the word of faith, uh, you know, speak in tongues, let the Holy Spirit move, do their thing, and an Anglican church, <laughs> you know, go into an Anglican church and see what's going on in there. Uh, go into you know go into some of these churches now that are um, they've got these churches. Many of these denominations now have completely laid down their stance against sin and are now even um, ordaining homosexuals into full-time ministry positions. Many of these denominations are doing that now so that it, you, you, you can be a homosexual and still be an ordained minister uh, in the denomination. And so there's a huge difference. People say, well, I'm just going to go to church, any church, as long as it's a Christian church. No, you've got to be very discerning about where you entrust uh, what place you entrust your family with and your own soul with. You can't just go anywhere. You've got to determine. That's why we're taking this broadcast today to talk about five things that must be in place in your church. No question. These are non-negotiable elements that must be in place in your church where you attend. And if they're not, you need to think about you need to think about why you're going to that church. Because I'm not just saying, you know, the things that I'm going to give you today are not arbitrary. They're not just random things uh, to put together a list of five. These are serious things that the Bible commands that need to be seen in a body of believers, in a church, in an assembly. And so we're going to definitely do that. I want you to start with me by uh, jumping on to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to be number one. And listen, as we're going through these today, please write them in the comments and uh, number them for us as we can see the points. People will be able to check them out as they log on later. Good to see Lisa and Rick just jumping on. That's right. We are to be committed to our church, not just go out of convenience. And so I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to give you the first thing that needs to be in place in your church. 
the first thing that needs to be in, in place in your church. Number one, and this is the bedrock foundation of any church that you attend. The bedrock foundation. If this one thing's not in place, don't even listen to the other four. If this one thing's not in place, get out of this church as fast as you can. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, listen to what Paul told Timothy. Verse 16, Paul said, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. So the number one thing that your church must have in place is that they believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. You've got to have that in place in your church. And that might sound like a given. I'm sure there's people watching me right now like, of course, of course our churches believe that the Bible is the inerrant word, inerrant word of God. But not all churches do anymore. And that is such a sad and demonic thing to get. You, do you know it's the thing that the devil's been doing since the beginning of time? Do you realize the first thing the devil did in the Garden of Eden was approach Eve and say, did God really say? The, the first thing the devil ever did, his first act of treason against humanity and against the Lord uh, on the earth was asking Eve, did God really say? What was he trying to do? He was trying to get us to doubt God's holy word. Getting us to doubt God's holy word. And one of the ways that people do that in the New Testament church is that they try to make us believe that this book that we hold in our hands, made up of 66 books, letters, and other things, is not the word of God. Well, maybe it's just a historical document. Maybe it's just uh, something from antiquity that survived through the ages, and it's a wonderful thing to have, but it's not God's word. You know, there's even some people, oh, I listen, I believe it, Lenan, but you know, there's even some people that will say, well, you know, it's a good book, and it has good principles in it, and you know, we should try to abide by the principles uh, of the book, but you know, it's it's not literally, you know, God's word. You know, there's things in it that are that are not true, that are myths. You know, they've tried to say that there are stories throughout the Bible that the Bible says actually happened that they're saying now, well, that didn't act, that didn't really happen. You know, that's just a that's just a story. It's just a myth. When God's word said it actually happened. And so what they're doing is that they're trying to say that the Bible, the 66 books that make up the Bible are not the inerrant inspired word of God. That is as demonic as you can get at the very root of antichrist agenda because everything we do everything we are is based upon the holy written word of the almighty god and this bible is not just a historical uh text it's not just something from antiquity that survived through the ages it's not just a great suggestion it's not just writings of pious men this book that we hold in our hands it is the inerrant, inspired word of the almighty God. And I love this passage of scripture that Paul gives to Timothy because listen to this, uh, the way that it's, and I'm reading from the ESV, but listen to how it's, how it's rendered in English in the ESV. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scriptures breathed out by God. Other translations may say all scriptures inspired. But understand, the reason that the ESV uses the phrase all scripture is breathed out by God is because the Greek word that Paul used in his letter to Timothy is the Greek word theonostos. And it's two Greek words pressed together. Theo and neustos. Theo meaning God, neustos meaning wind or breath. And it's the same word we have when we study in Bible school, the study of the Holy Spirit. It's called pneumatology, pneumatology. It's the study of the pneuma, which is the breath or the wind of God. And so uh, when you see the word theo 
and then neustos, and it's put together as theonostos, it is literally God breathed. And that's the word in the Greek language that Paul used when he was writing to Timothy. All scripture is God breathed, meaning everything that we have on these pages came out of the mouth of God. And unless you believe God is imperfect, and unless you believe that God is full of error and that he doesn't know what he's talking about, he's not omniscient, unless you believe that about God, how can you hold this word in your hands that has never in the history of the world been uh, proven false? It is It's survived through ages where they try to destroy the Bible and destroy the message of Christianity, and God preserved it, protected it, and we still hold it in our hands today. It is the mighty word of the almighty God, and it's inerrant, and it's inspired, and it's important to understand those two things. It's inspired, and it's inerrant. There's no error in it, and it is inspired by God. It's breathed out of his mouth. So why do we believe that? Why do we have to have that in place in our churches? Well, if we go to a church that does not hold that foundational core belief that the Bible is inspired by God himself and it has no error in it, then we have no standard of living as believers. We have zero standard of living. Because what's the standard? If the Bible's not the standard, what is the standard? You look at what churches are doing that no longer believe like that. As I mentioned a moment ago, these there's churches that are willing to uh, ordain homosexuals and lesbians and put them into full-time ministry positions when God, in his word, clearly, clearly, condemns homosexuality and lesbianism as a sin. Not only that, the Bible gives its own uh, list of credentials for people that are going to serve in ministry. Husband of one wife, can't be given to wine, can't be a brawler, you know, has to rule their own house well. And so because they've thrown the word of God out, now anything goes in their churches. Literally anything goes in these churches. And it's so demonic to remove God's word as the inerrant, inspired word of the Almighty God and just look at this as a normal book. If you are anywhere close, and this one I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's nobody probably watching me that's attending a church like that. If you are, if you are, get out immediately. Get out immediately. Because you're in a, you're in a, you're not just in a, you're, you're not in a church, to be honest with you. The church was established by God and the parameters of the church was established by God. And if you're not, if you're in a place that doesn't believe that this is God's word, it's not a church. It's not a church because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church, the new Testament church was based upon this mighty word that God gave the church. And of course, there were still letters being written at the time. But do you know what's interesting? Do you know what's really, really interesting about the early church? Even though they didn't have the full, at the very beginning, the full canon of scripture, here's what's really interesting. The apostles that were in the early church, Paul, Peter, others, when one of them would write a letter, it's not like they were writing these things and then years later people said, wow, I think that's scripture. No, that's not true. That is not true at all. When you understand what they knew about what they were writing, it'll blow your mind. They knew the Holy Spirit was inspiring them to write scripture. And in fact, if you'll read First and Second Peter, you know what you'll find? You'll find that even Peter believed and wrote in his letters uh, that the writings of Paul, the letters that Paul was sending to the churches, he refers to them as scripture. Peter the Apostle looks at the letters of Paul, a contemporary of his. He was ministering with Paul at the same time. There was a time they had a disagreement and, and they actually had a fight over Jews and Gentiles. The Bible says, and he withstood him to the face. They had a fight. They had a harsh disagreement about what they believed. And uh, so they were contemporaries. They're ministering in the same time. Read First and Second Peter. You know what you'll find? It tells us that he believed that every letter that Paul was writing to these churches was just as much scripture as the law and the prophets. 
So Peter, they understood that the church was being founded on the inspired, inerrant word of God, and they knew that they were being inspired to write scripture on behalf of the Lord and believe that it was, and the churches believed that it was. And today, there's churches that are trying to throw it out the window and say that it doesn't exist. And say that, well, that's, you know, if you're going to really, that's, uh, that's myth. If you believe like that, that's, you know, that's myth. You know, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Listen to this. I want to read to you from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Listen to this. Therefore, beloved, this is Peter writing to the, to, the, uh, to the church. Listen. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which, which the ignorant are and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You see what Peter just said? He said, when Paul's writing to you, people try to twist these words just like they do the other scriptures, meaning Peter believed what Paul was writing was scripture. And so they understood it from the very beginning. And that was, by the way, if you're looking for that reference, that was 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, and verses 15 and 16. So we've got to have a church that believes that the word of God is inerrant, it is inspired, and it's just as relevant today as it has ever been. It doesn't get old. It's not outdated. It doesn't need to change with culture. It doesn't need to change with time. It is the eternal, precious word of the almighty God. Amen. And so that's number one. Number two, you need to be in a church where souls are being saved. A church where souls are being saved. If you can attend a church, and here's what's sad, that statistics are even telling us. Barna's doing reports. Uh, they're finding things through Pew Research Group that they're finding churches in America, and I'm sure it's true, uh, you know, um, if Andy or, or, or Joel can speak to this uh, from the UK and other places in Europe, but I know it's true in America. The average church, 80% of churches or more in America will not see one convert in a calendar year, will not see one person saved in a calendar year. Now think about that, that the whole purpose of Christianity... Our great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As many as believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that don't believe will be damned. We're commanded to make disciples. I love you, Eduardo. El Guapo. I, but you think about this. 80-some percent of churches won't see any converts. None. None in a year. What in the world is happening? That we're actually the very thing we've been commanded to do by Christ himself is not being done. It's not being done. And people want to freak out. Well, our churches are shrinking all across America because nobody's interested in it. No, it has nothing to do with nobody being interested in Christianity. I've been around the world. I've preached the gospel in many nations. And everywhere that I go, I can tell you, people are hungry for the true gospel of Jesus Christ and they're hungry for the power of God and it's not a lack of hunger it is not a lack of interest it's a lack of christian churches just not just leaders but the members not doing what the bible says which is to make disciples to see people saved and discipled and be brought in of course your church is going to shrink if there's no influx of people being saved you know, a church is not supposed to exist to just literally take in uh, other Christians from church from churches they were disinterested in going to for a while. Well, we just got two new families from a church. They uh, they used to attend a church down the road, but they got tired of the worship there, so they came to our church. That's not how your church is supposed to grow. But well, you know, we had three new families come in. You know, it's wonderful. Um, they used to go to a church down on the other side of town, uh, but that church got a new pastor, and you know, they didn't really care for the new pastor. So you know, now they're coming to our church. It's really great. Our church is seeing growth. That is not how your church 
is supposed to see growth. A church grows by the souls that are being saved in the church. That's how the early church grew. That's how churches are supposed to grow, by people being saved and coming into the kingdom being discipled. If you go to a church, now you hear what I'm saying because this is serious. If you go to a church that is satisfied with not seeing any souls saved, you are going to a place that is in direct rebellion to the commands of Christ in the New Testament. That is heavy, but let me say it again. If you are going to a church that refuses to win souls, I don't care how they, listen, I don't care how they play it off. I don't care what they say. Well, you know, uh, we, we've just been in a busy season right now. You know, we're, we're doing, we're making some changes and, you know, we're, you know, there's been a lot going on with the church. We haven't really had a, a chance to do out. I don't care what the, it doesn't matter what the excuse is. If you can go to a church that refuses to win souls, they are a church that is in direct rebellion, direct rebellion to the commands of Christ in the New Testament, and they're a church that God doesn't care about. Because if you're a church that lives in rebellion, you are no church at all. And so you can't, you can't attend. And, and don't tell me, you know, I, I hear people say the stupidest things in regards to this stuff. Well, you know, every church is different, brother. You know, some churches are outreach churches. You realize some churches are actually evangelism churches and God uses them, uh, you know, <clears throat> God uses them to win souls, you know, um, and, and so praise God for those churches. They're evangelism churches, but not all churches are the same. You know, our church is really more of a discipleship church. We really more focus on those that are already believers and we, we strengthen those. No, that's you don't have the luxury of doing that. You're not allowed to do that. You're not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. People that make arguments like that, they're fools because they're making themselves the head of the church, and determining their own tasks and call. You cannot do that. You're not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, and he already gave us instruction as to what we're supposed to be doing. Already have instruction on what they're supposed to be doing. And those that are pastors, those that are watching that are pastors, let me say something to you. Your life should be above reproach. Your life should be above reproach. People that have had three affairs and that are still pastoring their churches should not be pastoring. Those that are addicted to drugs and in and out of rehab clinics should not be pastoring. Those that are drunk on the weekends and still standing in their pulpits should not be pastoring. People need to get a brain and sit under somebody and be discipled and be and actually be restored. Why? What in the world are people doing? that they feel like they can be on drugs, addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, all these other, and still pastoring churches. You, you, there's something wrong in your mind. You need to step out of a ministry position and you need to go sit under somebody and be discipled and be restored. You have zero ability to lead the body of Christ, zero. You know why? You can't even lead your own house well, the Bible says. You can't even lead, you're not leading, you're, you're not even leading your own personal life well. So stop trying to run a church, stop trying to be a pastor and go sit down somewhere and be discipled and be restored. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God won't use you sometime in the future. But it, I can't understand these people that just are just acting wild, doing crazy stuff and then expecting God to still use them and bless them. It doesn't work like that. You've got to conduct yourself the way the Bible says. And you've got to be winning souls. Got to be winning souls. If the church you're in does not win souls, get out of that church. It's a church standing in direct rebellion of the commands of Christ. And by the way, it shows that nobody gives a crap about what Jesus said. Nope, they don't care. As long as they got enough money to go on vacation once a year, as long as they got enough money to you know pay their bills and live comfortably, they don't care. Don't go to a church like that that's so dead that they don't care if souls are being saved. If you're listen, if you're in a church that's satisfied to stay at sixty people this year, we have sixty people next year, we have sixty people the year after that, we have sixty people the year after that. Stop going to that church that doesn't give a crap about the harvest. 
They don't care about the unsaved. They don't care about the, and they don't obviously don't care enough to get their act together and have something put together in administration so they can actually disciple people and keep them in the house of God. They don't care. They don't care. And that's what, that's the majority of churches. If you think, if you think for a moment, let me, let me just say this because people are so foolish in this generation. They make the dumbest arguments. If you think for a moment that the reason that the average church in America is 80 people or 70 people is because Christianity is not as powerful as it used to be. Or if you think that that's the average size of the church because we're just living in a generation that doesn't care about the gospel. Or if you, <laughs> if you think that the reason a church stays at 60, 70 people year after year after year is because of a prophetic sign that, you know, well, we're just living in those times when the hearts of many will grow cold and less people are going to church. If you think that, then you don't know what you're talking about because we're living in a time right now where more people are being saved and coming into Christianity than at any time in the history of the Christian church. Don't tell me the reason that somebody's church uh, stays at 70 people for 20 years is because, well, we're living in that prophetic time. It's because they are not doing the work. They're not doing the work. That's what's going on. They're not doing the work. They don't care. That's what's happening. Well, you know, brother, God, God wants some churches to, God needs small churches and he needs big churches. That's a stupid thing to say. That's a very stupid thing to say. Well, you know, brother, God needs small churches and he needs big. No, God needs the body of Christ to grow. The plan for, it's funny because people will preach increase until it comes to church growth. God wants your house to increase. He wants your finances to increase. He wants your health to increase, but he wants our church to stay the same. What a stupid way of thinking. God has increase prepared for every ministry Every individual, every church leader, every body of believers across the nation, he has increased plan for them if they'll just do what the Bible says to do. That's the truth. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the just is a shining light that shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. There's churches that won't even give altar calls anymore because they're embarrassed and they don't want to offend anybody. There's literally churches that don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. And one of the dumbest things that you could hear church people say, leaders in the church, amen. Well, just lift your hands if you feel comfortable doing it. I don't care if you feel comfortable or not. Lift your hands because the Bible says, lift your hands, lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting unto the Lord. Do things because the Bible says to do them, not because you're comfortable doing them. And if you think that the reason that churches stay small is because of the time we're living in, you don't understand the time we're living in. <laughs> you just don't. And the reason that churches stay small is because people get lazy and don't want to do the work. That's the bottom line. They get lazy and they lose their focus and they lose their vision and they don't want to do the work. And I'm not talking about just the pastors. I'm talking about everyone in the church. I'm talking about the leadership. I'm talking about the people in the pew. I'm talking about everybody. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the work. And they've not gotten a clear vision with the ability to administrate it. God has growth for every ministry in Jesus' name. God has growth for every ministry in Jesus' mighty name. It's the greatest time to be alive that ever existed, ever ever. <clears throat> Number three, the third thing that if it's not in your church, available in your church, then you need to get out of it. The third thing is this. They preach the full gospel. The church that you attend preaches the full gospel. What do I mean by that? You need to go to a church that will preach everything that Jesus taught. Not just a portion of it. Not just preach that Jesus is a savior, Jesus is a savior, Jesus is a savior, but they'll never preach that he's a healer. And that they'll never preach that he is a provider. And they'll never preach that he's a deliverer. They'll just preach that he's a savior, he's a savior. He's more than just a savior. He's a healer. And there's churches that'll preach to you that he's a savior all day long but they won't preach that he is a healer and they'll never lay hands on the sick and they won't believe God for healing miracles. 
when we're commanded to lay our hands on the sick and watch them to recover, when James chapter 5, we're commanded to call upon the elders of the church and that they're to lay their hands on the sick, anoint them with oil, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Sarah, every believer has the same responsibility to win the lost. Every believer, the pastor's a believer, evangelists are believers, prophets are believers, teachers are believers, apostles are believers, ministry of help are believers, people that just sit in a pew as a believer. Every believer has been given the great commission. Every believer. The only difference between ministry gifts and believers is that God has anointed ministry gifts and raised them up to equip and to teach the saints to become greater in what God's called them to do. There's an anointing on those men and women to equip the saints, to correct the saints, to reprove the saints, to encourage the saints, and has given them the saints into their care to raise them up. But they're still believers and they're still required to win the lost. Everybody is required to win the lost. And so we need to have churches that preach the full gospel. I can't tell you how many churches that there are that, well, you know, well, we just stick to the main thing, which is Jesus. They'll never preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit or get people filled with the Holy Ghost. When that was clearly the number one desire of God after someone was saved in the book of Acts was that they as quickly as possible be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That was clearly, clearly the desire of, of, of the Lord because everywhere you see in the early church, people getting saved, they next got filled with the Holy Ghost. That was the next thing that happened. Acts chapter two, those were already believers. They were already Christians. They, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. You see that. Acts chapter four, they get filled again. <laughs> Acts chapter eight, Peter, uh, uh, Philip goes to Samaria, preaches Christ, whole city gets saved. First thing they do, send Peter and John to lay hands on the believers. Get them all filled with the Holy Ghost. First order of business. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' house, first Gentiles to get the gospel. They all hear it, get the gospel, and get filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time. Paul finds 12 men in Ephesus in Turkey. Says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? We don't even know what that is. We've never even heard of such a thing. Oh, really? Then what baptism were you baptized with? Oh, the baptism of John. Well, that's water baptism. Then he preaches Christ unto them, then gets them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 19, which means they got saved. First thing Paul does, lays his hands on them to get them filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke with other tongues and prophesied, and there were 12 men in all. Everywhere you see that the book of Acts, people getting saved, first order of business, get them filled with the Holy Ghost. But churches today won't preach it. Oh, well, that's, brother, that's secondary. Not according to Christ not according to God, not according to the scripture, but we pick and choose. And there's churches, they won't talk about the Holy Ghost. They won't talk about healing. They won't talk about prosperity. Get out. Because what's going to happen is you're going to suffer in every one of those areas that your church won't focus on. If you go to a church that only preaches salvation and won't tell you about healing, you will suffer in your body. If you have an attack of the devil come against you, they won't pray for you. They're not going to stand with you. They don't believe that. You'll struggle financially because your pastor won't preach the truth on financial increase. You'll struggle with chains that bind your life and you'll live in grave clothes even though you're on your way to heaven because your pastor won't preach deliverance. So don't go to a church, number three, that won't preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ. They should preach it all. He's a savior. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's a healer. He's a provider. He's a deliverer. He's a soon coming king. Preach it. Preach it. You can't get what you don't preach. You cannot get what you don't preach. Can't get what you don't preach. Move on to number four. In the time we have left, I'm going to give you four and five. Number four that needs to be present in your church. Not only do they preach the full gospel, but number four, the Holy Spirit is free to move. He's free to manifest his presence. He's free. You can't do that in a 55-minute service, I'll tell you that. That was so good, I'm taking another drink. You can't do that in a 55-minute service. These services that they have going out 
because everybody's all about getting people in and out so we can get the next person in and out of that. It's destroying the move of the Holy Spirit. We're more worried about the, the schedule of our services than, they are, than we are if people even get touched in our services. We're more worried about whether or not the parking lot's going to be all jammed up than we are if there's a move of the Holy Ghost in our churches. Why do you think people don't care anymore? Why do you think people grow up in church and then when they're at the age when they can make their own decisions, 17 or 18, they quit going to church? Because their parents have taken them to churches that are more interested in the show, more interested in the schedule, more interested in getting in and out than they are in the move of the Holy Ghost. So kids grow up in church and see a bunch of hypocrites. Well, we've gone to church our whole life. My parents are still the same. Let him move. Give him room to move. It's his church anyway. Number four, the Holy Spirit is free to move, Dave. A church where the Holy Spirit is free to move. It's his church. Let him move. Let him do what he wants to do. Don't have such an agenda and a schedule. Well, we got to get it. If we don't get everybody out by 1145, they'll never, they won't come back again next week. Let him move. Let him move. Let him do his thing. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't drive people away from Jesus. He pulls them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not push people from Jesus. He pulls them to Jesus. That's his job. He draws men to the Father. You think you're going to let the Holy Spirit move and that he's going to cause people to leave your church? That's not, it's, it's weird people that cause people to leave your church, not the Holy Spirit. He's not weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird. People get weird. But the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He'll never do weird things. He's not going to, he doesn't come in to freak people out. He's the spirit of peace. Amen. And if there's something that happens that does freak someone out, it's because the Holy Spirit is doing something to freak them out, to get them back on track, conviction. And they need to be freaked out. You realize not every visitor that comes to your church needs to be comfortable more people should be uncomfortable than they are comfortable, especially if they're not living for the Lord. I shouldn't be able to go to a church and attend there for a year and a half living in sin and never feel conviction for my sin. I shouldn't be able to do that because the Holy Spirit should be there in operation and I should feel conviction in my heart and I should feel the need to change by the power of God. And if that's not happening, you need to reevaluate where you are. You realize I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who pastors a Holy Ghost church in Ohio. He said, you know, and they're from a Holy Ghost denomination. He said, we sent several of our people. Uh, they had to move away because of their job. And um, they found a church from our denomination in the new place that they lived. And they went up to the pastor after the service and said, hey, would it be all right if we just stayed around the altar here now that the service is over and just prayed in the Holy Spirit? And the pastor said, no, actually, it, it wouldn't be all right. Because number one, uh, I've not told our church that uh, we're a spirit-filled church. And I don't have any plan in place to let them know that we're a spirit-filled church. <laughs> this is a, a church from a Holy Spirit-filled denomination. Oh, we don't, we've not told anybody we're a Holy Ghost church. Then what are you doing? <laughs> it, it blows my mind with these guys. They'll take the money from the denomination to plant their churches from the from the church planning department who has money to give to people to help them plant their church. They'll take the money from a Holy Ghost denomination, but they won't tell people that they're filled with the Holy Ghost. It's it, They're thieves is what they've become. Thieves. Because the, it, what they're doing is that they've kept themselves in a place where they're, they're literally uh, uh, removing themselves from the, the denomination or even the... <laughs> the ministry gift that's helping them. It's, it blows my mind. And they wonder, well, why is it failing? <laughs> it's insane. People are ashamed of the Holy Spirit. It's insane. Don't go to a church that's ashamed of the Holy Ghost. That if somebody speaks in tongues, they send an usher over to quiet them down. Well, the brother, not here. You know, it's not, that's for your home. No, it's not just for your home. And every time someone speaks in tongues, it doesn't have to be interpreted. Unless someone's giving a word to the whole body. Somebody starts dancing in the Holy Ghost. They send two ushers over to, to settle them down. Well, you're a brother. Let the Holy Ghost move. And I know there's got to be order, not disorder. But, you know, it's ridiculous. It's not a mausoleum. It's not a museum. It's a church. 
There should be full of life. The Holy Ghost should be allowed to move. Let him move. And I'm not talking about the nutty people that cause him, come in to cause a distraction. They should be removed. I'm talking about when the power of God's moving, let the power of God move. It's insane. And people wonder, why, well, I don't know why my family's in distress. Because there's a church that you're attending that doesn't have any Holy Spirit manifestation in it. Now I'm going to finish with five, which is going to be a, almost a caveat to uh, number four. Number four, I said, let the Holy Spirit move. Number five, the point I'm making is this. If you're in a church that cares more about ex and places more value on experiences or weird manifestations than they do the word of God, get out. Because that's the other thing that happens is that churches get to this place where they start caring more about weird manifestations that may not even be in the Bible than they do the written word of God. If, listen, if, I, if, if there's something going on that's not biblical, I don't want to be involved in it. I'm not, I'm not trying, you know, I, I could care less about an angel feather floating down. Did you see that angel feather? Man, our church just, we, we have gold dust and angel feathers. I don't care. I don't need gold dust, nor do I need angel feathers to know that angels are real or that heaven is real. Somebody stomped a little hard on the streets of gold and some of the gold dust came down. I, I don't care. And there's churches that get all, they get so, uh, they get so, um, caught up in weird manifestations. And that's, that's what they want. They want, that's what we're at church for to see these weird, you know, we want to see these, you know, odd things happen. They get all caught up in that. It has nothing to do with the word of God, nothing at all, nothing to do with souls being saved, nothing to do with people being healed, nothing to do with people being delivered, nothing to do with people getting filled with the Holy Ghost, nothing to do with none of that. None of that. It's just weird. You know why? It's because weird people get opportunities to do stuff and they get weird. Look at AJ. I was asked to minister uh, worship at a church. Afterwards, they all cast demons out of each other. They invited me again. I declined. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it, it, you know, it, yeah. It, Marcus, Marquise, it ends up becoming that. Marquise is asking the question, um, would that be a form of witchcraft? Uh, it can become that because what's happened, what happens is when you start doing things that are not the Holy Spirit. By the way, Hank, thanks for sowing a seed. I appreciate you sowing. When you start doing things that are not by the Holy Spirit, but you keep pushing for manifestations of that the Holy Spirit's not in, the devil will accommodate you. And you'll start getting involved with uh, what the Bible calls a familiar spirit, which is a demon spirit. And if people are always seeking manifestations, all that we need a weird manifestation, we need something to happen, we need it. If they're, if they're always seeking after signs all the time, then they're going to miss out because the, all you, listen, this is what I said from the very beginning. The word of God is what our lives are based on. It's what our churches are based on. The mighty word of God. If it can't be found in the word, I don't want to be a part of it. And listen, I'm as Holy Ghost as they come. I'm as Holy, I, listen, I'm as Pentecostal as there is. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't lay back. If anybody's been in any services with me, I'm not one of these guys that tries to hold back and reserve, be all reserved and reserve the power of the Holy Spirit. No, I'll go full force, 150 miles an hour. I'm as Holy Ghost as it comes, but it's got to be based on the word. God's not going to do something that contradicts his own word. He's not going to do things that, that aren't in his word. He confirms his word with signs following, confirms his word. And I'm, and, and let me just say this. I am uh, disturbed by churches that have all these weird manifestations going on, but no biblical manifestations. Why is it that you have a church that sees angel dust and angel, angel dust, that's a drug, uh, angel feathers and gold dust. If you got a church that's got angel dust, there's pretty good problems. Uh, but I'm talking, you got a church that's got, you know, seeing angel feathers and gold dust and all these other things, but having nobody healed, having nobody filled with the Holy Ghost, having nobody get delivered from drugs or alcoholism or pornography. You're not seeing people saved. It makes me wonder what is going on at your church that you got these weird things happening, but there's not action. There might be angel dust mixed in. 
that you got all those things happening, but you're not having any of the actual biblical manifestations taking place. That's my question to those type of churches. Why are you having gold dust and angel feathers? If it's that powerful at your church that angel feathers are floating around and gold dust is everywhere, people taking pictures of angels that they see in the building, but no one's healed, no one's delivered, no one's set free. Let me give you a clue. Here's the clue. When angels showed up in the Bible, supernatural things happened. They didn't just leave their feathers behind. Geniuses. When angels showed up in the Bible, people got healed. People were delivered. People were set free. People received a message from the Lord. <laughs> they didn't just like come and then leave their feathers behind and like leave a, a, a vacuuming job for everybody. Stinking angels keep showing up in our sanctuary. Our, our cleaning team has to vacuum twice a week because there's so much. These angels are molting. It's molting season. Their feathers are everywhere. I'm so sick of this. We've had to clean out three rooms of angel feathers with the vacuum cleaner. Angels don't show up to leave their feathers behind. They show up as ministering spirits to do what God asks them to do, to fulfill his agenda. Matt says he's torn. What do you do if you get advice from two pastors that you love and respect, but they both tell me two completely different things? Um, you need to, you know, you're filled with the Holy Spirit also, Matt. So the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. But I'm blown away. You know, these, these guys that we've got gold dust, we've got, it's just it's insane. It's insane. And the problem is, is that we're focusing on these things, but the work of God's not even being done. The work of the Spirit is not even being done. People aren't being saved. People aren't being baptized in the Holy Spirit. People aren't being healed. People aren't being delivered. Weird stuff, you know. I'm not saying God can't let you see a feather, but what's the purpose? Britt, remember this. Remember this, that when God does something, and for those of you that are listening to this on the podcast, Britt had the question, so what is your take on what is actually going on in those churches where people are seeing that stuff? And, and just remember this, and I'm not saying God can't do a, a sign or a wonder or manifestation, but remember this. It is always God's desire to, to manifest his presence in a redemptive way. Remember this, because this is how you can judge this. It's always God's desire to manifest his presence in a redemptive context. What did Jesus die for? Not so that we could see angel feathers. Where did people see angel feathers in the Bible? They saw angels. Elisha prayed for his servant after they were surrounded by an enemy army. Servant went back outside and saw that there was an angelic army surrounding their enemies. Chariots of fire, angels with swords and fire. You know, they were there to deliver him from his enemies. God always does things in a redemptive context. What did Jesus die for? He died so you could be free from sin. He died so that you could be free from sickness. He died so that you could be free from the chains that bind you, addictions, all those types of things. He died so that you could be free from poverty and lack. He died so that you could be a part of his family and experience his goodness. He sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the works that he did. So if things are taking place, but there's no redemptive context, you need to take a look a little closer at why are those things happening? Why? Even when there's services, I'm very, I'm very serious about this. So if you've got somebody, you know, what's the purpose of, of, you know, I've seen things happen where there's words of knowledge that are super accurate, but no redemptive outcome at the end. And I, and trust me, I understand that some things happen so that unbelievers are shaken. They can see the power of God, totally get that. And I'm fine with that, but there should be a big altar call then. And people should be saved. A lot of people. But if I got somebody that just calls me out and by a word of knowledge tells me what my debit card number is, where's the redemptive value in that? 
I'm already a believer. I don't need to be saved. I know the power of God. You know, if there's no redemptive action to the moving of the spirit, then what's happening? What's happening? If no one's being saved, healed, filled with the Holy Ghost, delivered, prospered, blessed, you know, if those things aren't happening, what is happening? What exactly is happening? I don't mind sermon series, Sarah. She's, her, Sarah's question for those on the podcast, what are your thoughts on sermon series? I feel like every single church around us has announcements for the series they're doing. I don't, I don't have an issue with sermon series because understand, every ministry gift is different. You know, a pastor is not supposed to come into his church every single week and try to have a blowout miracle crusade. That's not what the pastor is supposed to do. A pastor is supposed to equip the saints, raise them up, teach them. And so there's no, yes, there are topics that can take a, a month or two months to talk about. You know, there's some topics, Sarah, in the Bible that you can't exhaust them. They're so deep. You know, I just looked at uh, Dr. Gene Lingerfeld is, uh, on his, at his church, Faith Christian Center in Arlington, Texas. I think if you look at their YouTube page, they're still on the series, if, I, if I'm correct, they're still on the series, The Finished Work of Christ, and it's like part 109. So they've done 109 weeks on the finished work of Christ. That's, that's over two years, by the way. That's, two, that's a two-year series. You look at how Dr. Fred Price used to teach his series. I have one on my phone right now, The Power of Positive Confession. It's like 80-some parts. So understand this. There are some things that you know you can't exhaust. There's powerful things in the word of God that need to be, you need to dig into those things. And so I have no issue with, there's pastors that want to teach a series on prophecy or on faith or whatever, they, whatever they're doing. It can, you can go week to week to week and teach these things in a deeper way. No issue with that. There's no issue with that. And, and, it, and, and one of the things we need to understand is believers need to be taught. That's why I started Miracle Word University. That's why I do these broadcasts. That's why I do the podcast. It's because believers, that's why I do Miracle Word Radio. Believers need teaching. It's important. It's very, very important. And so we do need it. And, and don't look at that, Sarah, and say, well, they keep doing these series. When are they going to be led by the Holy Spirit? Why do you have to be led by the Holy Spirit in the moment? You don't think the Holy Spirit can lead you a month before? You don't think the Holy Spirit can lead you five months before? Of course he can. The Holy Spirit's got a plan for your church. And you can fast and pray and hear the word of the Lord in advance. I have no question about it. The thing you've got to be careful of is that when the Holy Spirit tells you to change, that you're not so stuck in your, in your uh, agenda that you won't change. That's when the sermon series becomes God and, and God can't be God. But I, I have no issue with series uh, as a whole. I think they're fine. What's a, a good discipleship Bible study to teach new believers? Lyle and Margie Carr Schillinger asking. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of using, um, I don't like that, Steve and Lisa Ketterman. That what about pastors just getting every sermon offline? I hate that. You know, study to show yourself approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed who can rightly divide the word of truth. I think pastors obviously should be getting a word from the Lord themselves. Not, you know, if you have to download your messages from the internet, you're probably not called by God to be a, a preacher. Um, but they're asking, what's a good disciple Bible study? That's one of the reasons I st started Miracle Word University, guys, is so that there would be things that could be given. And there's churches already that are using my courses from Miracle Word University for discipleship purposes. And uh, if you or your church would like to use it for that purpose, um, we do even rates for groups so that everybody doesn't have to pay the full price uh, to take the course. But we, we set these up with multiple videos within each course so they can be broken down in small group settings. And uh, you can check out the stuff we have going at miraclewordu.com. But um, I, would, I would suggest that. I mean, it's the whole reason I'm doing it. I'm doing it to disciple people and to get them to understand the doctrines of the church from a Pentecostal and charismatic perspective. And so I, I, I value it because I know God told me to do it. And we have two new courses coming out this month of December. One's on mountain moving faith. And the other one is for musicians to help them uh, in worship settings in their churches for keyboard. 
and we're going to keep on putting up courses uh, and fill that university. We have hundreds of students from around the world that are already a part of the university and they're online courses. Don't get freaked out by the term university. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to make you, uh, you know, take exams. <laughs> we're just, we're, we're equipping you. We're equipping you. Yeah, it's right. It's right. That's right, Matt. Church on Sunday, Ted on Monday. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. But you've got to, listen, if you're in a place, don't let your family be damaged because you're in a church that's not doing the work God called you to, called them to do. Be discerning. It's important where you attend church. It's important. It is important. And, and I want to pray for you. Those of you that are not in a place, I have people call me or write on the broadcast. Well, I'm not anywhere close to a good church like that. I don't live anywhere close uh, to a church like that. Then move. Move to a place where there is a church like that. You know, move, make, make the decisions about where you move based on where you're going to go to church. I tell people that all the time. Do you realize when they were building this nation, when they were building the colonies in the United States, before they were the United States, and they were still the colonies, and they would establish new towns and, and, and cities, the first building they would build in every town and village was the church in the center of the town. And then they would build everything out from the church, but the church was the center. Because even back then they understood that the town, the village, the city, the people are only going to be as great as their relationship with God. It's a nation that was built on, the founding fathers built it on this thought process. You need a move of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there needs to be, you know, Carmina, I would say this, at least they're open to the move of the Holy Spirit. Make sure they're, I mean, obviously if you're saying it's sound doctrine, they believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. They believe in speaking in tongues. And so I'm not, I'm not saying you need to leave that church, Carmina, at all. Uh, but you, it's got to be a church that's open to the move of the Holy Spirit that, you know what I'm saying? That they don't, they don't disbelieve in it. They believe in being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit. They believe in it and they believe it's for today and they're open to it. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, Samson, online. You can learn online. It's miracle word you, the letter U.com. I'll pop it in the comments so that you can see it. But yes, that's exactly what I mean. There it is. So Samson, you can check it out. No matter where you live, it's available online and uh, it'll be a blessing to you. It'll be a blessing to you. You're welcome, Sarah. God bless you. Thank you for watching. I want to encourage every person today. You're watching this. It's been a blessing. You know that your 2020 is going to be the greatest year you've ever seen. I want to encourage you to sow a seed. Set yourself up. Set yourself up. One of the things that I, I don't think churches preach strong enough across the board in this nation is that God wants to bless you financially. That's why I talked about that in the thing today is because God has a plan and a desire to bless you financially. But churches, I don't know why, maybe it's because there's persecution that goes along with the message. Maybe they don't want to see people leave the church. But I'm telling you, God wants to bless you financially, but churches won't preach it. They may be afraid or intimidated to preach it. I'm not intimidated. I'm not afraid. And the church that you attend shouldn't be either. But the way you walk in financial increase is by sowing seeds of faith, by sowing seeds of faith. And that's why I'm encouraging you today to take a step of faith and sow that seed of faith that will put you in position for the 2020 you're believing for. Let me just say this. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to be random increase in 2020. It's going to be planned by your faithfulness and obedience to the covenant you have with God. And there is nothing else that financial increase answers to except the seed that goes out. You can't pray for financial increase. You can't fast for it. You can't do anything. You can't, there's nothing else that will bring it except the seed that you release. So I want to encourage every one of you that are watching today to release a seed by faith into this ministry today and expect increase to hit you quickly, quickly. That's what we're, this is what we're talking about. Violent increase, expedited harvests in 2020 in the mighty name of Jesus. You can use hashtag donate on Periscope or Facebook. 
Uh, if you're on YouTube or any of the outlets that you're watching, you can go to miracleword.com uh, and you can give there on the website. If you'd like to use Cash App, it's MWGive. That's the cash tag, MWGive. And then, of course, PayPal is info at miracleword.com. Those of you that are listening to me on the podcast, I want to encourage you right now. There's links in the description of the podcast. Click one of the links and sow a seed today by faith. God will bless you. I'm telling you. And I know, Joe, I'm, I know you're not ashamed of the gospel. My sister was asking me uh, at Thanksgiving if I knew you, Joel. And I said that we'd been talking. She said, I went to, I went to school with him. And so I'm very excited, Joel, uh, to come to the UK and to see you. I know God's using you in a mighty way, a mighty way. And it's exciting because this, this world right now is ripe for revival. The UK is ripe for revival. America, Canada, Mexico, ripe for revival. Eastern Europe, ripe for revival. The continent of Africa, in revival. I mean, literally in revival. So I'm telling you, this is the greatest day to be alive that ever existed, that ever existed. Set yourself up to be at the top of the class by sowing a seed of faith that will set you in motion for what God has planned for 2020. I don't know what you're believing for, but I want you to understand you can see the thing you're believing for. You know, one of the things I do when you get the magazine that's coming out, you'll, you'll know when, I, when you read the article I wrote for you, one of the things I did is I kind of just wrote it out so that you could think about it. Think about it. Imagine being under mounds of credit card debt, student loan debt, that it felt like you'd never get out from under. But all of a sudden, in like one day, suddenly, God sets you free from debt and puts you in a place of being debt-free. God can do that. Quick, He quickly moves. He quickly moves. Imagine being sick in your body for years, hospital visit after hospital visit, and all of a sudden healing comes into your body and you're set free. Your hospital bills taken care of, everything. The weight drops off your shoulders. That's what I'm talking about. Violent increase. God did it all through the Bible quickly. You know, the, did you know the Hebrews were in captivity for hundreds of years and in one day, God led them out by the hand of Moses and Aaron to the Red Sea. Not only did God set them free from slavery, he destroyed all of their captors in one day. God will move quickly for you. God will move quickly for you and your family. Take a minute to sow your seed today. And I say thank you to every person that's sowing. We love you. Those of you that have partnered with us, many of you have received uh, Christmas gifts from me and Carolyn already because we love you. We want to say thank you for standing with us. Uh, and we really do. We really do pray for you and your family and love you very much. And um, I'm excited about 2020, man. I'm pumped up for what God's going to do. Listen, if you didn't hear it before, don't forget to sign up for the uh, winter magazine that's being shipped here in just a few days. Love you, Letty. You have a great day too. And then don't forget these shirts are in the Miracle Word Kids Christmas Treasure Box. And you can get the box now. It's available live in the store. Thank you, Joel, for sowing a seed. It's live in the store for only $49.99. Get it for your kids. It'll be a great, great, great blessing uh, to your kids. They'll love it. I, I guarantee it. They, they will love it. We love you guys and appreciate you. I'll be back again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. You're not going to want to miss it. Everybody that participated in uh, questions and answers today, don't forget to send your email to Jenna at MiracleWord.com. I appreciate you guys so much. I really, really enjoy being with you every morning. I'll see you again tomorrow. Have a powerful day. Talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.